Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Well, we're continuing our series in the book of James. Hopefully you've been enjoying this series. Uh, last week we had a special guest, a dear friend of mine, Pastor Jake Clevenger, come and speak to us. Uh, out of James chapter 3, speaking on taming the tongue. So if you were not here for that message last week, I would encourage you to go back on our Facebook page and watch that message or go to pull up our podcast uh, on iTunes and you can, um, Apple Music, or is it iTunes? Yeah, you can find the podcast under Hosanna uh, Ministry Podcast and you can follow along and listen to that message. It was powerful. It was excellent. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. So this morning, we're going to actually continue. We're going to stay in chapter 3. We're going to finish out the rest of chapter 3 this morning and then jump into the beginning of chapter 4, uh, looking at the, the ways that we can live and look like Jesus. That is the answer. That's the question that we've been asking, looking for the answer through the book of James throughout this entire series. What does it look like to live like Jesus? And what does it look like to look like Jesus as followers of Christ? That is our purpose. That is our desire. If we're following Jesus, we want to follow closely to Jesus. We want to resemble Jesus in how we speak, how we respond, how we live, what actions we take. Would you agree with that? As a follower of Jesus, you want to look like Jesus. And so that's what we're diving into. We're going to be jumping in starting in verse 3, or verse, uh, sorry, verse 13 this morning. And depending on your translation, some of those have uh, section titles on it. Some say um, the wisdom from above. You might have a a title that says uh, two types of wisdom. But regardless of the title of it, we're we're talking about wisdom this morning. We're going to be diving into wisdom and jumping into it. I always thought it was funny, though, uh, growing up as a kid, hearing the insult, wise guy. You ever think, you you know, sometimes I think of like Goodfellas and like, hey, look at this wise guy. You know what I mean? I think of that. Usually it's, it's somebody who's a fool, really, you know, who's acting a fool, making a mess, doing stuff. And like, who's this wise guy, right? It's a, it's a weird insult for me because they're not wise at all. You know, that always confused me as a kid. You know, why are you calling them wise when they're really clearly dumb? You know what I mean? I, I feel bad for Albert Einstein because he's only brought up, his name's only brought up when they're trying to describe an idiot. You know what I mean? Oh, good job, Einstein, you know. I feel bad for Albert Einstein because he was brilliant and now only anybody, anybody talks about him when they're trying to... Call someone stupid. So it's just weird for me. And, I, and when I was growing up, I often got called uh, smart mouth. And um, usually that's because I said things I shouldn't have said at, at the wrong times. Anybody else have a smart mouth growing up? But I was such a person longing for affirmation. I was like, you called me smart, so I'll take it. You know what I mean? I just, I kind of, I loved it. I was like, well, I'm smart in something. And my mouth happens to be the area that I'm smartest. And so uh, I just kind of grabbed onto it. But I was always confused with with those descriptions of people and how we use that. I, I think it's interesting. But I, I learned as I grew, grew older that um, uh, wise guys weren't always the wisest and smart mouths weren't always the most uh, welcome around. And so I, I realized soon that there were two types of wisdom. There was a wisdom that is good and there's a certain wisdom that's not so good. And actually, as we jump into the scripture this morning, we will find out that as well from James Ultimately, I think that everybody here this morning wants to be wise. Would you agree? We want to be wise people. We actually, I enjoy it when people come to me for advice. Makes me feel good. 
I, I, would, I, would, I would assume that you do as well. People come to you seeking your input on something. It, it's like, oh, wow, they're, they're, they think I'm wise in this area. Well, not only do we want to be people who are wise and people can trust our opinion and our thoughts, but we also want to be people who know what to do when, when to do it. We want to make the right decisions at the right time for the right outcome. And that's, that describes wisdom. And we want to be people that want wisdom. But I think a lot of times in life, there are things that we choose to do and we think we're right in the moment. But once the dust settles, we realize it was the worst decision we could have made. And that happens a lot. So the question we want to ask then is how do we make sure that we become wise? And how does wisdom help us live like Jesus and look like Jesus, because we don't want to be people who get down to the end of our life and realize we've made really poor decisions throughout the rest of our life. So we're going to be going into James chapter 3, starting verse 13, and as you turn there, let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would illuminate your word to us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make us wise, because you are called the Spirit of Wisdom. And where you are, God, you bring light, and you bring knowledge, and you bring understanding. So we ask that you would do that now this morning. Help us open up your word and understand what you are speaking to us, your people, your church. We love you, Lord. Amen. Starting in verse 13, it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James starts off this section on wisdom by asking this question, Who is wise and understanding among you? With this question, then, he must be implying that there are some in his audience that either think they're wise and they are not, or there are some, because James addresses a lot of uh, the, the difference between poor and rich, and, and for some, because they were rich, they thought they were wise, and they would brag about how wise they were with their money or how wise they were with their clothing choices, how, how they are successful, and they would brag about how wise they were based on their outward appearance. And James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Then he goes on to say, let their good work, their good conduct, show in the works, in the meekness of wisdom. James is saying here, let their good conduct show in the meekness. What does meekness of wisdom mean? And that's kind of an interesting thing. We have to break that down to understand what James is saying here. Well, first, meekness, I want to make it clear that meekness is not weakness. Right? Meekness is not weakness. In fact, the Bible says about Moses, the man who stood up against Pharaoh and led an entire nation out of slavery and bondage, they said he was the meekest of them all, but he was not weak. Meekness means, means power under control. Power under control or strength under control. It's humble. It's patient. It has patient endurance in the midst of difficulties. Meekness is the opposite of arrogance. Have you been around an arrogant person before? I got this figured out. Just follow me. I don't know what we're doing. And really, they have no clue what they're doing. That's not wisdom. And that's certainly not meekness. It's humility. It does not brag about itself. It does not say, look at me. Look how wise I am. It's demonstrated through action. Sometimes we think wisdom is just words, but wisdom is how we live every day. It means wisdom that is humble. Wisdom does not try to show itself off. 
If we're talking about wisdom this morning, then we need to define what wisdom is. Wisdom is more than knowledge. There are a ton of intelligent fools in this world who know a great deal but live horrible lives, making poor choices and bragging about how much they know, but they really know nothing. Just because someone is brilliant by human standards does not mean they are wise. And one definition of wisdom that I really love is the application of God's truth to our lives under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what that would mean to say is then we cannot have wisdom without knowing God. Wisdom without God is not wisdom. It's something else. If we use that definition, then it it points us back to our Creator. In fact, Proverbs 9 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is the starting point of wisdom. And then it says, and the knowledge of the Holy One, recognizing there is a Holy One greater than us, is the beginning of insight. The fear of the Lord that, that the psalmist or that, the, that Solomon is writing about in Proverbs is not a fear of, of, of uh, horror. It's not a a terrifying fear. It is a recognition that God is sovereign. God is God and you are not. It's a recognition that there is someone far greater than you that holds your everything and and holds the breath that you breathe right now in this moment. That is the fear that he's saying. If you will be a person who says, even if you don't know Jesus yet, but you would say, there has to be a creator. There has to be a God that, that is far above everybody else and everything else. There has to be something like that. Then you have the beginning of wisdom, recognizing there is a God. It's not a fear that you're terrified that he's ready to beat you over the head for all the wrongs that you've done. It's the fear of recognizing that he deserves honor and he is worthy. When you can recognize that, you are on the path to wisdom. Then, wisdom doesn't just stop there. That's the beginning. Wisdom develops as you begin to look to him and his truth to apply to our daily lives under the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit To live out wisdom. Again, wisdom is not just the words that we speak. It's the life that we live. My definition then, based on what I find in the book of James, would be this. Wisdom is having the ability to know what is right in every situation and doing it. Having the ability to know what is right and doing it. This is how we understand what it means to live righteously or to live rightly in reflection of God's word in our lives. You want to have wisdom? It means you understand what the right thing to do, and then you do it. That's wisdom to me. James continues in verse 14, and he says this, but, and he's about to contrast what he's just said, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There will be wickedness when that kind of wisdom is applied to our lives. So James is now saying there are two types of wisdom. There is a wisdom that comes down from heaven. It is a godly wisdom given from God to us, which means that it is a gift to us because we cannot earn his wisdom. He gives it. He grants it to us. And there's another type of wisdom, a wisdom that seems successful based on how people live their lives, but really it's driven by jealousy. 
You don't have, so you try to grab for yourself. It's out of selfish ambition. I want people to know me. I want people to see me. So I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to get to that level so that people will respect me. He says that kind of wisdom only creates disorder and creates wickedness in your life. That wisdom that James calls unspiritual and demonic. Unspiritual meaning that is not from the Spirit of God. It is, it is earthly, meaning it is carnal, it is fleshly, it is, it is a way that you gratify yourself in a moment. The Bible says that, that the heart of men can decide what is wise, but in the end it leads to destruction. And so this is the kind of wisdom that James is talking about. There is a wisdom that seems good, but in the end it only leads to destruction. Where this kind of wisdom exists, there is disorder in every vile and wicked practice. It looks successful, but it's inward focused and it's destructive to our very nature as people of God. The Bible, in fact, warns in several places that those who think they are wise in their own eyes deceive themselves. Proverbs 3, 7. I know we don't have it on the screen. I'll just share it with you quickly. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. So if worldly wisdom is proud and boastful and selfish, then what does godly wisdom look like? Because I know we all have been in a place where we thought we were making a wise choice and it was not wise at all. And even you might not have said, this is the wisest choice. Because sometimes if you would just stop and say, is this the wisest choice? Your spirit would check you and say, nope, it's not, right? But sometimes you say, is this the thing that's going to satisfy me? Is this the thing that's going to make me feel good? And in that moment, you convince yourself that it's wise, but you know that it's not in the end. Those things lead to destruction. But he says this, verse, four, verse 17, he says, But the wisdom from above, or the wisdom from God, is first pure. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And verse 18, I love this, and he says, The harvest of righteousness is sown in, the peace, in peace by those who make peace. So what is he saying here? This kind of wisdom is not, is not known in the world. And if you read back and look over that again, you would recognize that in our world today, we don't see a whole lot of wisdom that looks like this. Would you agree? Anytime that we see in the world someone sharing their wisdom or their opinion, it's never peaceable, it's never gentle, it's never open to reason. It's always like, I'm right, you're wrong, move on. Deal with it. Figure it out. You'll one day get in line behind me. Because I'm going in the right direction and all you are fools. That's the kind of wisdom we see today whether in politics or in, in uh, athletes or in anybody that's in a high-level position who does not have a relationship with Jesus, they can become prideful and they tell you how it is and how you should accept it. It's not peaceable. It's not gentle. It's never open to reason. Anytime that you hear this kind of conversation going on, know that godly wisdom is not being shared there. It's just someone's opinion. Because God's wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. Good fruit meaning evidence of a life well lived. If there's good fruit in someone's life, you can examine it from a distance and see there's something that they're doing right. There's, there's a wisdom that I can see. I can see the fruit of their wise choices. The fruit of God is displayed in the wisdom of God, full of mercy 
good fruit. Impartial, meaning they're not biased. God, the wisdom of God is not biased, trying to sway you in a way that, that benefits the person who's also telling you to make that right decision. You ever have anybody who wants to share an opinion with you, but clearly it's a way so that they would benefit them? That's, that's, that's biased. That is, that's, that's a partial. That's not impartial. It's, it's saying, hey, do this, and in their head they're thinking, and it's going to work out for me as well. That is not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is impartial and sincere. What does sincerity mean? It means they're lovingly honest. That's what sincerity is. Someone who shares with you, they're honest with you, but they do it in love because sometimes you can ask someone's advice, like a, like a, a wife would say to her husband, does this dress look good? In that moment, they, you need, husbands, the wisdom of God. <laughs> you need sincerity. You need to be lovingly honest, and you need to walk full of mercy. Come on, somebody. There are moments where you don't want to have a, you want to have an impartial, sometimes it's hard, but you need to have an impartial response because you love your wife and you don't want her going out there looking like a fool. Come on, somebody. Amen. Same is true for husbands. And honestly, wives are much more willing and honest with their husbands. Would you, would you agree? Men, we put something on, they say, you going out like that? Are you sure? Did you count the wrinkles in that shirt? You know what I mean? It's just, um, but we want sincerity. We want mercy. We want impartiality. That means we have godly wisdom. Meaning that when people approach us, they don't have ulterior motives. They don't have biases. And this is what I love. When we begin to live like that, walking in godly wisdom, I love what James says. It says in verse 18, it tells us the byproduct of wisdom in our lives, what it produces. It says a harvest of righteousness or godly living is produced when we walk in wisdom. This harvest is created by planting seeds of peace and wisdom creates the peace. And when peace is created, righteousness develops. Righteousness is produced. So let me give you some practical examples. You want to have peace in your home. You want to be a home that, that is full of love and fears God and walks in righteousness, then be wise about what you say and how you speak to each other, especially the people closest to you. Be wise about the words that come out of your mouth and let wisdom affect and, and direct your action towards those who are in your home. Because wisdom will produce peace and peace will produce righteousness. You can't just, can I tell you something? You can't, your kids are doing the wrong things. You cannot, you cannot dictate righteousness to them. Righteousness flows out of, of a relationship with Jesus, not based on a bunch of rules and, and trying to govern morality over them. What that creates is resentment towards the very thing you want them to do. Because kids, they want to know why they do what they do. So if you want to produce righteousness in your kids' lives, pray for wisdom, ask for it, Deal with them with peace and mercy and grace and then allow peace to cultivate in their lives where they begin to live righteously because it flows as a byproduct of wisdom and peace. You want peace in your marriage? You want peace in your relationship? Ask for wisdom before you just spout out your feeling, whatever anger or frustration or anything else. Before you speak a harsh word, ask for wisdom and cultivate peace first and then righteousness will flow.
Sometimes we want people to live a certain way. It's much easier to pinpoint when someone's not doing the right thing, not living rightly, and point that out to them. But that does not create righteousness. It works a whole different way. Wisdom, peace, righteousness. You want your spouse to do the right things, to love God, to serve God? Be peaceable with them. Honoring and loving towards them. Ask for wisdom. God, how can I help them know you today? How, can I, well, how should I respond when this comes at me? What should I do? And allow that to develop the righteousness of God. Because wisdom is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. What that tells me is that wisdom is not quick-tempered. Wisdom does not grow angry. I think wisdom helps us to step back instead of attack. And in your moments, this should be an applicable, this should be practical for us as followers of Jesus. When you get in a heated moment with someone you love, maybe even a friend or a coworker, think this, wisdom helps me step back, not attack. Help me step back, not attack. Because we want the wisdom of God to flow through us daily. And it feels like most of the issues in our homes and at school and, and places of work apply. We're, we're applying a worldly wisdom and not a godly wisdom. And a worldly wisdom cr- comes from jealousy and selfishness. And those things produce anger in us. Because we want what we can't have and so we grow angry. We grow frustrated. I want this to be about me. I want to feel good. I want this. I want that. And then all of a sudden you don't get it. So you're angry and you lash out. That's worldly wisdom. Not getting what you think you deserve so you lose your temper. That helps us understand that when we're in those moments, stop, step back and say, why am I growing angry? What is it that I want in this moment? And is it godly or is it fleshly? Is it carnal? Is it to gratify myself or is it to please God? This is what I love about James. He just flows so eloquently from section to section. And he says this in chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Can I take a time out there and say, James, that escalated quickly. I thought I was just, I wanted something, I didn't get it, so I murder. What is that about? Well, can you remember when Jesus was talking about, you have heard it said, but I say this? Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, if you are angry with your brother or sister in your heart, you are just as guilty as those who commit murder. Then in 1 John, it says this, that those who have hatred in their hearts towards their brothers and sisters are murderers. He comes out and just says it. Is that not a convicting word for us to know that the things that are in our hearts towards other people, whether we act on them or not, will, will create something in our lives that we become guilty of? He's saying you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You murder with your thoughts. You murder with your inaction. Pushing people away instead of drawing them close. Isolating instead of being in community. You do not have what you want, so hatred boils up in you. He goes on to say, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
What is he saying here? Because the very next portion he says, you ask and do not receive. So what is he saying? He's saying, you don't ask for wisdom, so you don't have wisdom. You ask, but you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So you are wanting what you want when you want it, and that's what you want to have. And instead of saying, I would rather have wisdom and discernment and know how to make the right choices, you ask the wrong things and you get the wrong outcome. Because James chapter 1 verse 5 says this, anyone who wants wisdom, they must ask the Father for it who will give it to you generously. And James is bringing it back full circle here saying, if you would seek God and his wisdom, if you would ask for it, then you would have peace and the things that you need, but instead you pursue what you want, when you want it, and you wind up with nothing. You pursue the wrong things. You ask for the wrong things. Pursue His wisdom and receive it. Then James, I love James, I told you before, he pulls no punches. He just comes right out and says it. He says in verse 4, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He uses the illustration of adultery because adultery is committing this action of cheating on your spouse, going out to get what you want, to gratify yourself where you feel like you're not being satisfied in the marriage, and you neglect the very thing that has the greatest blessing for your life. That's what he's saying here. When you commit, when you cheat, you are ruining the very foundation that is supposed to bless you the most. And he's saying we do it every day with God when we go to pursue what we want when we want it instead of turning to him and asking for his wisdom. We cheat on God when we think that we know what's best and to do whatever seems good and feels right to us in the moment. And when we side with that, we are siding with worldly wisdom, and it corrupts us. So much in our world says, follow your heart. Do what feels good. Do what feels right. And people have bought into that lie so much that they are walking in brokenness, and they don't know why, because they followed what they thought was sound wisdom. No, the Bible says our hearts are are exceedingly deceitful. Who can understand it? Instead, instead of saying, I think I'm a pretty good judge here, saying, God, I don't know what to do. Would you reveal to me your wisdom? Verse 5 says something extravagant. It almost seems like it's out of context. Why would James say this here? But he begins to say that the Spirit of God in us longs for us, is jealous over us. And what, what is he really saying here? He's saying, that the Spirit of God that is in us as believers desires for us to fully know who God is. And it is, and is, wants us, the Holy Spirit in us, because He's writing to believers here, remember. He's wanting us as believers to stop pursuing the sinful desires and pursue the one who can really fulfill Amen. us. He's saying, would you stop? I have put my Spirit in you to draw you to me. And yet you still want to pursue what you think is right. He is jealousy, jealously yearning over the Spirit of God inside of us because we've submitted to know who Jesus is and now He wants us to know Him fully because in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. And when we pursue other things, we are trying to substitute 
the joy of God. That's ultimately what we're doing. Trying to find peace and pleasure and happiness everywhere else. And the Spirit of God inside of you says, would you draw near to me? And I'll draw near to you. In fact, this is what he goes in to say in verse 6. See, all of this, James hits us hard, man. He says, you're adulterous. You're liars. (laughs) You're selfish. You only want what you want. But then he says in verse 6, put that up there. But he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. So if you're feeling condemned, recognize that it's not condemnation. It's conviction of God. And he wants to show you his grace today. He wants to pour out grace over you. He's not here to beat you up over the head. He's saying, you're chasing everything else that will destroy you. I have grace. If you'll come back to me, I will reveal to you my goodness and my love. So what does that say? That means that no one is so far gone that you can't experience the grace of God. doesn't matter what decisions you've made, what you did even this morning. It doesn't matter how far you've pushed the boundaries. God will say, if you'll turn and come back to me, there is still more grace for you. There is still more grace. Then he says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What do you need to turn back to God? You need humility. Humility says, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I have to turn to you. Pride says, I got it on my own. I can make my own decision. I can live my own life the way I want to do it. And you will never experience the grace of God every time you speak that way. But if you will turn and say, my life is a mess and I've made it a shambles and it's a, it's a, ruined, it's a ruined place and I've, I've destroyed everything that I love and everything that I was pursuing after is now, is now lying in ruins. I need something else. That turning, that humility, you will experience God's grace. He says, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom, and humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So if you find yourself lacking godly wisdom today, if you're caught up in pursuing your own sinful desires and passions and everything is coming crashing down around you, what do you do? James spelled it out for us in these last few verses. First, number one, recognize there is grace for you. Recognize there is grace for you because the enemy will say you've gone too far, you cannot come back. Recognize there is grace for you. No matter how far you've fallen, how many things you've messed up, the words or the actions you've taken, even the worst of sinners, God says, if you'll turn to me, there's grace for you. Number two, humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before God. Recognize you need a Savior, and the Savior is here now to save you. You don't have to wait for Him to come. He is already here, and He's ready to pull you up out of the place that you're in. Number three, submit or surrender to God. Because you can, you can humble yourself before God. You can say, I, do, I, I can't do this on my own. You can recognize there is a creator. But until you surrender your life and your will to him, he can't really do much with you. You can have a, hum, you can have a humble heart, 
But until you choose to say, God, not my will, but your will be done, that's when he begins to move in your life. And when he begins to move in your life, number four, then he says, resist the devil. Now that I'm moving, stop giving in to the things that continue to pull you back to where you were. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. He doesn't say stand up and fight the devil. He doesn't say you have to memorize scripture and, and quote it at the devil. He doesn't say, he says, just resist. Say, I'm not going to do what I used to do. I'm choosing not to give in now. I will not do it. I choose to resist, and he will flee from you. Then the promise that I love. Number five, draw near to God. Draw near to God, because this is the command that comes with a promise. If you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. I will draw near to you. Is that not the most encouraging thing that you can hear this morning? We've been called out for sin that we're committing and brokenness in our heart and hatred towards our brother. And we're, we, we're called all of these things. And then he says, but if you will draw near to God, he will draw near to you regardless of what you've done. Regardless of where you're at. If you will just turn and draw near. If you will just press into my presence, I will reveal myself to you. If that does not build hope in you, I don't know what will. There is nothing so far gone that God cannot reach it and God cannot touch it. All we have to do is draw near, pursue Him, want Him. And all that can look like is, God, I want to know you. God, would you reveal yourself to me? You don't have to be eloquent in your words. You don't have to know the entire Bible. You don't even know, how to know necessarily how to pray lengthy words. If you would just say, Jesus, I want you. I want to know you. He will come into wherever you're at and draw close to you. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful promise. And can I tell you something? I was speaking to someone the other day, and they said, I want to change, but I, I keep going back. I want God, but I don't know how to grab Him. And I wanted to encourage them, and I'll encourage you if you have the same prayer that you want to know God, but you continue to cycle back into it. Can I tell you, the Bible says that the heart of men is wicked and no man desires God. So if you are having a desire for God, that comes from God that he's put inside of your hearts. Can that be a spark of encouragement for somebody today? That the fact that you want to change is the fact meaning that the Holy Spirit is working already in you. He is already stirring your heart because no one who is lost in sin decides to turn back to God unless God draws them first. So if you're wrestling and you're saying, I want to change, but I don't know how to change, realize that the Holy Spirit's already speaking to you. And you now walk through these steps, humbling yourself, drawing near to Him, resisting the devil. Number six, as you draw near. See, these are kind of sequential. You do them in order. And as you do them, you continue to build on intimacy with God. Because after you draw near to God, then James says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. What does that mean? It means get rid of the junk that you've been giving into. Sometimes we go into people's lives and say, hey, man, you got to stop doing this. you got to stop doing that. you got to stop doing this. you got to stop drinking, stop smoking, stop going to the bars, stop doing this. And, and we're giving all of these commands to help them cleanse their lives, but they've not yet drawn near to God. It's the Spirit of God that creates the change in us. Not, not religious morality. 
We don't go to people, walk into the church, wearing inappropriate clothes, say, hey, okay, look, next time you come back, you need to start dressing better because that's a distraction for everybody else. No. Allow them to draw close to God first. Then he will speak to their hearts to put away the things that they've been giving into. We don't legislate morality. We don't tell people this is how you're going to look and how you're going to respond. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We are not the judge. He is the only one qualified to judge us, and he gives out grace. So as we draw near to God, then we cleanse our hands and purify our hearts to get rid of the things that continue to stumble us up. Then finally, he says, weep and mourn before the Lord. Let your laughter turn to weeping. I thought, wow. I thought church is supposed to be a happy-go-lucky place and everyone's just jolly all the time. But there are times, the Bible calls it, godly sorrow. That we are broken for the things that we used to do that have hurt the heart of God. And it's, it's time for us, we need to allow ourselves to feel the brokenness that sin brings. So that we can remember the pain that it caused so that we would not so readily return back to it. Sometimes we want people, we don't even talk about sin and how we get caught up in it. We just say, hey, love God, God loves you, just keep pursuing Him. But sometimes we need to recognize the brokenness that sin causes so that we won't return back to it when things become light again and things become easy again and our relationships are better again and we have more finances now. And Hey, I'm doing pretty good for myself. And all of a sudden, you're going back to the thing that tripped you up in the first place. He's saying, no, weep and mourn over the things that have broken your heart and broken the hearts of others so that you can remember not to return back to it again. And as you weep and mourn before the Lord, and it doesn't have to be an extravagant thing in the front of the church. It can be in your closet at home as you just say, God, I'm, God, I'm broken. I'm sorry that I've done this to you. I'm sorry that I've hurt your heart. God, I'm sorry that I continued to, I continued to give back and, and, and allow those desires to control my life. God, I repent. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I don't want to ever do it again. Allow the weeping and the mourning before the Lord to draw you, and that continues to keep us humble. And he says, if you will humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. That's the beauty of this passage. If you don't have godly wisdom, you can have it. Because it's a gift from God. If you haven't been living right, then you can start over. If you're broken, you can be made whole. Starting today. You can begin to walk in godly wisdom. And that comes from a personal and intimate relationship with the living God. As I conclude this morning, I want to give you the five different ways that God's wisdom comes to us. I don't think you have them up there. I didn't really tell you to put them up there, so don't worry about that. But they are in the YouVersion Bible app. There are additional notes. I want to give you these five ways that we receive wisdom from God. The first one is that we receive wisdom when we receive Christ. We receive wisdom when we receive Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, the righteousness, sanctification, and redemption of God. So if you want wisdom this morning, the first step is to know Jesus. He becomes your wisdom. He is the wisdom of God. Then you receive the wisdom from God from the Holy Spirit, who Isaiah calls the spirit of wisdom. Yeah. 
The Holy, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the spirit of wisdom. He becomes to you wisdom. Then we receive wisdom from the Word of God. When you open up your Bibles, it, it creates wisdom in you. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. It says, Oh, how I love your law. It, it, it is a, and my meditation all the day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. Makes me wiser than my enemies. Who is your enemy? You only have one. It's the devil. So the word of God makes you wiser than the enemy. He cannot trip you up when you are in the word of God because you are smarter than he is because of the word of God. Number four, we receive wisdom from other believers who love and submit to the word of God. Proverbs 15, 22 says this, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Some of you are wrestling to make wise decisions because you've surrounded yourself with unwise people. You surrounded yourself with people who do not love God and do not meditate on his word and so they cannot provide you wise counsel and you continue to make poor decision after poor decision and you wonder why you're, you're in that same place. Surround, why do we have community groups? Why do, we, why do we push that so much? Because we gather as people who love Jesus so that you can break free of the circle that has been influencing you for so long so that you can gather with a new circle of people who will point you to Jesus and create a space for you to grow in wisdom and then you can reach out to those who've been influencing you and now you have a place for them to be influenced. That's why community groups are so important. That's why we push them because that's where you will mature the most in your faith as you follow Jesus. It creates wisdom in you. And lastly, you receive wisdom through prayer. James says that if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you.